0: In the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted the arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. And if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? But the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who does violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds. And the upright shall behold his face. Will you remain standing with me as we pray? Father, God, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for inspiring this. We thank you for, uh, we even thank you now preemptively for using this in the life of our church. Would you help us, God? Would you help us? We are dependent on you, as we have already said this morning. We just want to commune with you. We want to hear from you, God. We want your spirit to speak. I am but a mere mouthpiece here for your spirit to speak to your people. Would you be with us? Would you give us sharp minds as we look at this psalm? Would you give it soft hearts to experience the emotion of the psalm and to walk anew in however you lead us? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat, and if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 11. Well, Providence, I, I do think it is safe to say now, uh, we officially have a tradition here at Providence Church, because we always, in the two summers that we've existed, we always take 10 weeks in the summer to walk through the next 10 Psalms. So if you were here last summer, we got to go through Psalm 1 through 10, and this morning we are embarking on 11 through 20. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do want to just answer the question if you're asking, okay, why do we do this? Why is it important to take 10 of our weeks every single summer and hit these psalms? Let me give just a very brief, brief answer. Uh, The psalms, if you're new to your Bible, they are poems or songs, and they are written by real people that are experiencing real circumstances in life. So sometimes we can think about the Bible or these things as just kind of this divine thing, which it is, but we forget that these are, these are real authors. These are real people that are writing this, and it's real people as they face anxiety and joy, as they face loss and elation, as they face apathy, or as they face intimacy, and today we are a church, we are the people of God, we are people, real people facing real circumstances in life. My guess is that all of us this week walked in anxiety or fear, joy or sorrow. Maybe you were apathetic or you felt really intimate with God, but we're real people facing real circumstances in life and these Psalms are real people facing real circumstances in life, they give words and prayers and emotions to us when we don't know what to say. They, they're God given, human written prayers when, when you don't know how to pray. And this is pretty different than the last five months. If you've, five months we've been studying Ephesians, uh, and Ephesians has been pretty like truth, logic, uh, arguments, uh, and, and the Psalms are different. The Psalms are colorful. They're kind of imaginative. They deal with emotions. And quickly, for anyone in the room who that scares a little bit, no fears. Uh, I'm not a very emotional person, and we're going to get through this together. Because here's the good thing. If you would sit here and you would say, look, I'm not very emotional. The Psalms seem kind of like fluffy, and I don't get them, and it's poetry, and I don't do poetry. Let me say why this is really good news for you. Because if you're not emotionally driven— that doesn't mean you don't have emotions. And so if you're like me, oftentimes I'll talk to my wife and I'll say, look, I, I'm feeling something, but I just don't know how to say it. Like I literally cannot express what's going on. And what the Psalms will do is they'll walk through circumstances in life and they'll say, hey, this is how you might express this. It, when you are just kind of torn up and you don't even know how to pray to God, the Psalms give you the words, To pray. So if you're not a very emotional person, uh, this is great for us because it actually gives us words and it puts ideas to the emotions that we feel. Uh, But on the other side, if you would say, like, I got no problem with that. I love the Psalms. I'm emotional. I speak my emotions. I act out of my emotions. Let me say this is really good news for you, too, because what the Psalms do is they, they give these parameters to how you can operate in your emotions in a godly way. Now, albeit the parameters are wide, I mean, they're bigger than you would think of the words that you can say to God, the things that you should interact with, but they do give you emotional people, they give you some parameters on, hey, this is what it looks like to engage in a godly way. And so that's why I'm excited for the Psalms. I think they're going to help us this summer as we continue to grow. And just what it means to be with God and commune with Him, the Psalms are just going to help guide us in that. And we're going to start with Psalm 11. Now Psalm 11 is going to begin to help us navigate through turmoil in life. Maybe you started to pick up on that as you heard it. It's going to begin to start to ask the question, I mean, what do we do when life is like turned upside down? Right? When we have those moments where it feels like life is just completely flipped, Psalm 11 is going to engage and say, hey, this is how we should be thinking. So before we get into it, I want you to consider for a moment. Think about the uh, maybe the last time, or maybe the biggest time, or maybe just the, perhaps the current time, when you've thought something along these lines. Life is falling apart. When's the last time that you just felt, maybe, maybe you said it, you just thought, man, life is falling apart. When's the last experience where the proverbial ground that you were walking on began Shake When life was just kind of cruising at 75, down Interstate 80, and all of a sudden life just like slammed on the brakes. When you had a picture in your mind of this is what life's going to be like, this is what my future is going to be like, and all of a sudden it's as if your life got rocked by an 8.5 magnitude earthquake. Like just everything began to shake, life got turned upside down, and you start to feel like, man, life is just falling Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not asking you, hey, have you ever thought that before? Have you ever had a situation like this before? Because the reality is life is bumpy. Life gets turned upside down at times. All of our beloved uh, gray hairs in the room uh, that we love so much could probably tell us that as the decades begin to pile up, um, it's inevitable. You're going to face times in life where it gets hard. Where you thought this was the path and you get thrown off. And what Psalm 11 is going to do is it's going to gently come alongside us and say, hey, let me help you navigate that season. For you in the room that maybe you've felt that before um, and you feel like, man, I had no idea how to even navigate in a godly way. Psalm 11 is going to kind of coach us. For you that maybe are feeling that right now, that the ground you're walking on is just shaking. Psalm 11 is going to say, hey, let me help you this morning. So that's what we're going to be doing in Psalm 11. It's going to kind of lay out the scenario of when life falls apart. And quite frankly, it's going to say, look, you got two options in that moment. Because your natural instinct is always going to be to find some sort of stability. Right? When life gets shaky, you want to find some sort of security or comfort. You want to just know how things are going to work out. You're going to long for security or what Psalm 11 calls a, a refuge. It's this place of security where you can have assurance and the psalm says, look, that's natural, and you're going to have two options. And the psalm's going to urge you to, to run from one of the options and to run to another one. So that's what we're going to be looking at in Psalm 11. So if you've got your Bible open, we'll have the verses on the screen. Let's look at just the first three verses, and it's going to kind of lay out the turmoil that's at hand uh, for David. He says this, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So our psalm, maybe if you're looking at it in the Bible, it says there that it's written by this man named David. David. And David grew up as a young shepherd, who maybe you've heard of him. He he is anointed the the king of Israel. He becomes this major figure in the Bible. Now from this psalm alone, we we don't know, it doesn't give us the exact moment that this psalm was written or the exact scenario, but because of the language, we can kind of gather what's going on. You see, David's life was kind of unique. When he was a a young boy, uh, he was a shepherd, and and this prophet came to him and said, hey, God is going to make you king. He says, you're going to be king over my people, but here's the the kind of catch. Uh, You're not going to be king right now. So he knows, okay, God said, I am going to be king one day, but the problem was there's already a king on the throne, and so the, uh, the Lord just tells him, you will be king, but you need to just wait. Now, Understandably so. The current king, Saul, uh, did not like that so much. that There was a new king. And so, uh, I mean, uh, imagine that if tomorrow you go into your office and your boss says, hey, you're getting a promotion. I'm going to promote you. You're going to be right under me. You're going to lead a bunch of teams and people. And you're thinking, this is awesome. And the next week, your boss comes back and says, oh, by the way, we just hired an intern and I'm hiring him to take your spot. So I'm not going to tell you when, but pretty soon you're not going to be here anymore. So we can cut Saul a little slack because that would be frustrating, right? If you're thinking, okay, I just got this role and now there's already somebody else who's going to take my role. So Saul hopefully would do what you wouldn't do. He decides, well, I'm just going to kill him then. I'm going to go and I'm going to attack this man. I'm going to kill him. And so he decides to kill David. And so David, for a majority of his young life, is spent just running from Saul. He's running in caves, he's hiding, and so Saul's got this massive army that's chasing down David. David's got a few men around him that are loyal to him, and he spends year after year just running from Saul. This is probably the time period that David is in when the psalm is written. And you see in verse one, uh, there's a question that was, or there's an a, a emphasis that's given to David. He says, How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? Well, that probably is, it's probably one of David's people, his own people saying, Look, David, like it's up. Saul's winning. We're not going to live through this. You need to just find some. Refuge. Just go find some sort of security. Flee to a mountain as a bird flies. Like, go get there and find security. They're telling him, look, you're, you're literally going to die. And we see that begin to play out in verses 2 and 3. Uh, this is kind of figurative for us, but actually probably quite literal for David. So if we look again at Saul, or the verses one through three, it says things like this, that the men are telling David, look, the, the wicked, they're bending their bows. That means they're getting ready to fight you. Like the battle, the closing battle, it's coming. It says they, they fitted the arrow to the string. Imagine that the, the arrow's literally in the string. They're taking aim at you. They are ready to knock you out. It says they're going to shoot in the dark at the upright and harder, David and his men. The scene is bleak. They're saying, look, David, there's no more hope Like they're ready, they're here, they are aiming, they are firing at us. Life is beginning to fall apart. And in verse 3, they ask kind of this hopeless question. Look, if the foundations are destroyed, what are the righteous going to do? Have you ever had a moment where you've asked that before, where it feels like the ground is shaking, it feels like the foundation you're walking on is just, it's not sturdy anymore, and you just think, well, what am I supposed to do? Right? Like, how am I supposed to fix this? It feels as if everything is falling apart. What am I supposed to do? That's David in this moment. If you were to think of David's life like a movie, uh, this is kind of the, the middle of the movie where it seems like everything is falling apart, where you're beginning to ask yourself the question. How is this going to get fixed? Like it seems too far gone. This seems like the enemy is too strong. We're not in the intro scene where everything's colorful and happy and serene. And we're not in the final scene where there's resolve and everything has been fixed. We're like right in the middle when the dramatic music is playing. There's like a gray scale over the screen. There's worried faces and turmoil going on. That's, that's David's life right now. He's feeling like life has completely fallen apart. So I want to pause here for just one second, because remember, the Psalms are amazing because they're real human experiences um, that we can almost all relate to. So maybe you've never been in a mountain where somebody's shooting at you, I'm assuming probably not, but think about what David's feeling. Think about the, the hopelessness, the anxiety, the worry, the fear that's going through David. And I want us just to take just maybe a couple moments, and I want us to think through um, where we feel this. And so the way I want to do this is I want to actually give you two examples, Um, but one is kind of a corporate church, so where do we as a church maybe feel hopeless or anxious? And then I want to zoom that in a little bit. I want to just ask you, where, where might you be feeling this personally? So first, let's think about as a church, where do we sometimes feel hopeless, as a church, where can we get anxious? Where can we feel like the ground is shaking? The foundations are being destroyed? This week, I, I think that maybe the primary one uh, is what we might call uh, culture wars. you ever heard that term? This idea where, where we're kind of battling with the culture, that the culture's going one way and we're pushing up against it. And so sometimes I think we can look around at the cultural state, at society around us, and we be, can begin to think, like, man, This is falling apart. Our culture, our country, our society, things are just breaking down. We can look around and we can see the the sexual revolution. We can see the the abortion epidemic. We can see the overwhelming problem of pornography. We can see um, the, the losing of just decent morals. We can see corruption in politics. We can be just looking around, looking at the news. We can see all this stuff and we can begin to lose hope as a church. We can begin to feel like, man, there's cracks forming in our culture's ground that we're walking on. The earth is shaking and we begin to lose hope. It can feel as if, hey, we're the church, we're trying to stand strong, and culture's just taking their shots. Now, what we might have the tendency to do from there is for many of us, we can think, okay, well, we just need to grab some power Then right? Like if the church just had a little bit more influence, if we just had some more power, then we might be able to prevail. We can think things like, man, uh, God, you said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. If you but the secular left sure might. Like it feels as if they're gonna prevail or we might get this mindset of, God, if you want the church to succeed, what we really need is just a president who's gonna agree with everything that we agree with. He's gonna uphold our values and that's the way that God can keep his church moving. We can begin to think, man, we just need to have a little bit more influence, a little bit more acceptance, a little bit more power and if we have that, then the church will be back on sturdy ground. And I think we do that Because when we feel this, when we feel it shaking, when we feel a little bit powerless, we as a people begin to feel like outsiders, and we hate that. Right? I mean, don't you just hate that feeling of just being outsiders? Like, everything is moving one way. Culture, your your boss, the the culture at your work, politics, everything is going one way. And you feel like, man, we as the church, we're just kind of stuck here. Or we're maybe going in the other direction. And that bothers us. And so we get this, we try to come up with these plans of maybe finding powers. I think this can feel demoralizing at times. It can feel like the ground the church is walking on is just not going to be sturdy. God's not going to live out his promises that he made. So that's one I think maybe the church feels. But how might you be experiencing this? Maybe right now, how are you experiencing the anxiety, the worry, the fear when life seems to be falling apart? Let me give you one example. Maybe this is you or maybe this will spur you on to think. Um, I think for many of us, maybe the most prevalent is um, we begin to kick into like worry mode the moment that we feel like life is not going exactly how we thought God would do it. Have you ever sensed that of just like, I thought this was the path that God has me on and the first little hiccup or the first kind of detour, we just build this anxiety. And we think, well, God, that's not what you said. God, that's not what I thought was going to happen. God, this is the plan that I think that we should go on. And We begin to get anxious. We begin to get worried. Maybe you are convinced, God. I thought this was the destination, but now it seems like we're going in the other direction. Again, if that's you, I think that's probably exactly how David thought. Remember, as a boy, he was going to be king. He's going to rule. God's going to use him. And all of a sudden, not only is his kingship not coming through, but it looks like he's going to die. He's got to be asking the question, God, you said this is the destination. This ain't the right route. Like, we're not going in the right direction. I think oftentimes we think, man, God, I, I deserved that promotion. I deserved this relationship. I deserved a little bit more rest. And, God, you're not delivering on what I thought. God, I thought I'd be further along at this point. God, I thought we'd have more money at this point. God, I thought we'd be better situated at this point. I thought that you were going to do this, and now life doesn't seem to be playing out. I think every one of us can relate to that feeling. And what Psalm 11 does is it, it presses in there, and it says, okay, that's okay to feel that, and now you've got two options. You've got two places you can run, because in those moments, your heart wants security. You want stability. And so where are you going to turn? Look again in verse 1. He gives us our two options of where we can turn to in these moments. The, the first one, again, he says, uh, his friends tell him, hey, flee like a bird to your mountain. Now, again, we don't need to take this too literally. We, I doubt many of you think when life is turmoil, like, I just got to get to the mountains. Uh, although I know some of you do. That would be your idea of escape is I just got to get into a mountain. Uh, but I don't think that's quite exactly what the point is here. I think that idea is something a little bit different. The idea that when life is shaky, what does it mean to flee to the mountains? Well, I don't think it's fleeing literally to the mountains. I think what it's saying is that our natural instinct is going to be to find some earthly place of security to try and find stability. But our hearts are going to naturally want to say, "If I can just get to to some earthly fix, a quick fix here, then I will feel better." So, what this might look like for you, uh, let's say uh, some financial turmoil hits. Your family, and what you immediately might do is think of earthly methods of security. So we might say, uh, "Okay, let's just stop giving for a while. If if we don't give for a while, maybe we'll begin to like pile some of this back up, and we'll be fine. Or, or let me just create some sort of side hustle. Like I'll just try to get something going on the side. We'll make some extra money, and then we'll be fine. Or let me just pick up that extra part-time job. And I won't be around, and things maybe relationally will crumble. But I'll work twenty more hours, and we'll kind of try to get this fixed. Now, those things aren't necessarily wrong, but what that might show in your heart is that you have a tendency to just try to run to an earthly fix for a deeper problem. Or, or think about the church. When we feel like we're struggling in these culture wars and, and battling with culture, I think some of us might say, well, let's just, let's bunker down. Like, we don't need the world. We don't need to think about the world. Like, let's just create our little silo and we'll just let the world burn right? Like, we just, we'll just kind of get that fixed there. Or others of us probably swing to the other side, and you might think, hey, no, no, let's just, maybe we need to just tear down some of our walls a little bit. Like, maybe if we, if we didn't have some of these convictions, that really aren't that big of a deal. Maybe if we just didn't have some of these practices that are kind of weird. Maybe if we didn't say certain things that the Bible says, because that kind of comes off weird. Let's just, if we could just get more into the culture, if they might accept us a little bit more, then we could finally not be at war so much. Providence, our propensity when we feel anxious or worried, is always going to find earthly fixes to alleviate our problems. We're always going to try to run to find an earthly fix that might give some stability. So that's one option that David has. He can just try to run to another mountain, logically. Not going to make sense because he's been fleeing for a while and David can, or Saul continues to find him. But that's one option. He can do that or he says at the beginning of the psalm a second option he says in the lord i take refuge now if we go to verse 4 look with me in verse 4 he he kind of expands this a little bit and he says well where is the lord the lord is in his holy temple the lord's throne is in heaven so if we put those two things together here's what david's saying He's saying that he is going to find his refuge in the Lord. And where is the Lord? The Lord is in his, in, on his throne, in his temple, in heaven. And so what David is telling us here is that our great refuge, our security, our safety is not of this world. You're never going to find a place of complete refuge in The world. The the place that truly alleviates our anxieties is not here. We are a people not of this world, not finding security in the world, but we have another place. We have another home. And he's saying, look, I'm going to look there to find my refuge. And I want you just to maybe dream a little bit. We don't do this very often, but, but because this is the Psalms, I want you to just imagine what this is like. Because here's the reality. I know when when life seems shaky, it's very hard. It's easy for me just to say, well, just trust in the Lord. But it's hard to have that confidence in that moment. So I want you to think about this for a second. You can run to an earthly mountain to to kind of fix or alleviate some of that problem. But think about where the Lord is. Have you ever seen pictures of uh, space? You know, like maybe it's right outside of, of, the, uh, of the Earth's atmosphere and the Earth looks massive, but it's kind of beautiful and big. And then maybe you've seen another one where it kind of zooms out a little bit more. and Maybe you see kind of the edge of the sun and maybe one more planet and the moon and the Earth is still big there, right? And you, you're kind of getting a, a picture of the expanse of the heavens. Have you ever seen those that are just way out and you can't even see the earth? I mean, it's like smaller than a speck of dust. I'm just tiny in this galaxy. David's saying, I want you to imagine the Lord's throne high above the heavens. Like over all of the planets and the stars, over everything that you could imagine in the universe, sits the Lord, metaphorically, in his temple, on his throne. That's where the Lord is. Is. And the next time we feel anxious or you feel like life is falling apart, I want you to remind yourself that you can run to an earthly antidote or you can remember that that's where your refuge is high above the earth. The Lord who is removed, He's not just of the earth, but He has created it. He is high above it. The Lord's throne rules over the universe, He controls all. And when your circumstances shift and get shaky, The Lord is not surprised, the Lord is not distant, the Lord doesn't, he's not sitting there wondering what to do, he's not feeling anxious in himself, he's present, he's there and he's in control. David is urging us here, you can go to an earthly quick fix or you can stand tall because you know that your refuge is in the Lord. Uh, a year ago, my wife and I we went up to Minnesota with the McGill's, some friends of ours, and we went to a uh, we went to a Minnesota Twins baseball game. And it was the first time uh, that we went there. If you've been to like a, a, a professional or maybe Lincoln, you went to a sports stadium. You know, I mean, it's just it's massive, it's fun, it's action packed. There's people everywhere, there's things everywhere. Uh, and so we went up to this game in Minnesota, and it was the first time that we brought our son, who was about maybe seven, eight, nine months at the time. First time we brought him to a sporting event like this. And so we bring him there. Uh, and the experiences for an adult, it's kind of invigorating. Like it's kind of fun to be a part of something with thousands of people, beautiful things to see. You kind of, you know how to kind of navigate everything. And so it's not scary really. It's just like, it's just fun to be there. But I want you to imagine for a, for a nine month old, uh, the, the whole experience would be, different because you don't really know how to process all these things the first time you would go and so I want you to imagine if Bailey and I uh, were to we didn't do this so nobody worried but if we were to uh, just set our child down in the concourse now we're on like the third deck and so just imagine us three decks up and we just set him on the concourse and said okay uh, he'll probably be fine now think about the things that are going to happen I mean, he's most likely going to fall down the stairs or fall three decks down onto the field or something, or he's going to try to pick up somebody's nasty, like, tobacco pouch that they spit out and try to eat it, or he's going to, like, just kind of crawl around. I mean, he doesn't have any concept in that moment of what's safe or what's dangerous, of who to run to and who not to run to, of the places that are going to be dangerous for him to keep going or the places where he should stay. He has no ability to kind of process through all that because he's never been through the experience and And so because we love our child, we didn't do that. And so what did I do? I I grabbed one of those, you know, those like baby Bjorn things. I looked really cool. And I put this thing on and uh, I I tucked him in there and I kind of wrapped him up. Uh, And he was completely fine the entire game. He had no worries. He had no anxieties. He even just drifted off to sleep at one point. Because he knew, because he was so wrapped up and so close to me, that that he didn't need to just try to process and make sense of everything. He just knew that I was there and I was walking with him through all of this. That I'd walk him down the steps, that I'd carry him around all the people, that I wouldn't give him things that he shouldn't eat. And I think in some sense, this is what it means to take refuge in the Lord. It means that that we don't have to try and make sense of all the crazy circumstances in life. We don't have to try to, to plan out how we're going to do everything. What David says is just kind of get wrapped up in God. Like just be in his presence because he's a good father that will care for you. That will walk you through these things. That will show you where to go. When you don't know how to process some life experience, if you're close to God, he's going to walk with you Through it, And I love that David says that not when life gets sturdy again, but in the midst of it. Look at verses 5 and 6. This is right in the midst of this. And what he does is he begins to transition now. He says, look, my refuge is in the Lord even when life is crazy. And so here's my mindset now. He says, the Lord tests the righteous. The shaky times, that's going to happen. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who does violence. He's trusting in the character of God here. It says, let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind will be the portion of their cup. Now, as we go through the Psalms, we're gonna get into more of some of these verses where it just feels like, man, how do we even think through this? Where where David's saying, man, God, you just wipe out the wicked ones. Like, you take care of this. And we're gonna get into more of that later. So I don't wanna do that a ton today, but I do wanna note his mindset shift in this verse. It moves from being... Uh, from being afraid of crumbling circumstances to just a complete trust in the Lord to deal with what's going on. Like, did you see that? He's, he's not saying, I'm gonna get revenge. Like, when I get some more power, man, they're gonna feel it. No, he's saying, Lord, you take care of this. My refuge is in you. You're in the heavens. I'm secure. God, you handle the situation around me. If you want to wipe out the wicked, you wipe out the wicked. If you want to provide for me and move me through this, you move me through this. But I am going to focus on being with you. David moves from trying to attempt to to solve all of his problems to a posture of just being wrapped up in the refuge of the Lord and asking the Lord To solve it. It's why we had these Psalms cards and we said, man, we just want to be a people that practice just being in the presence of God. Because then we can actually have a posture like this to say, look, I don't have to solve all my problems. I just need to be with the Lord and let Him begin to walk me through life. Now, I want to just hit very quickly at the end here, verse 7. It's kind of this beautiful wrap on all this. He says, For the Lord is righteous, He loves righteous deeds. And the upright shall behold his face. What we're going to see this summer is that there's this kind of distinction consistently in the Psalms. The the wicked and the righteous. The foolish ones and the godly ones. The upright and those who are violent. And the Psalms always say that the righteous ones, they will be with God. They, They will get to behold his face. The upright ones, the godly ones, they'll get to be with him and the wicked Will not. And so one final question I had this week was, okay, David, this is a great picture. Like I get to I get to be wrapped up in the presence of God, high above the earth, like that's where my security lies. But how can I know for sure that I can say that? Like, you ever wonder, you read through the psalms, like, that's great for David, but how can I know that I am secure and that I can find refuge in God? How can I know that I won't be on the wicked side, that I've screwed up, right? I'm a mere, finite, feeble, sinful man. How can my confidence be in the Lord? How can I know that the end of verse 7 is true, that even when I walk through the crazy things of life, I will one day behold his face? because if you want security, you need to know that it's secure. Well, I think the answer is that the church, the church historically has seen the Psalms as, um, as experiences and songs and, and things that, that the life of Jesus really lived out. They would say, man, Jesus walked through all of these things. Jesus got to like, he could pray these things. And so my mind kind of went to, okay, where Where did Jesus find his confidence, right? If we look at the life of Jesus, how could he say this psalm? And my mind, immediately went to the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, the the final day of Jesus' life. Jesus, this perfect one, the Son of God, is crying and bleeding uh, because of his turmoil in a garden, pleading with God because he knows that life is about to fall apart quite literally life is about to be taken from him and he's at that doorstep and he pleads with God is there any other way is there any other option but jesus says i'm going to trust in you i'm going to follow you even through life's crazy turning points and what we find is that jesus was betrayed he was beaten his blood was shed his body was torn he was hung on a cross and he was killed and put into a grave. He trusted in the Lord, and that led him to the depths of a life experience. But as we keep reading the story of Jesus, we know that although he trusted in the Lord, even to the point of death, three days later, he, his faith was vindicated in that God raised him from the dead. As we look at verses 5 and 6, and we think, man, how is God going to deal with all the wicked ones? Well, in Jesus' trusting in the cross, God finally made a payment for all of the evil. He made a way for the evil to be done away with. He made a way to punish the wicked. Jesus walked through this lull, through the the deepest valley of life, and was exalted to the place of the Lord. And it is in that act of Jesus that our faith finds its true home. That we find our faith completely wrapped up in Jesus and what he did. Because the good news is the New Testament says, we've been seeing this in Ephesians, is that the call for us today is not to be perfect and righteous and upright. We don't have to have a spotless record, but what we need is faith that God will accept us through Jesus Christ. That if our faith is in him, we can trust him, he will be our refuge. And the Bible says that we're actually like united to him. Think about that. You are united with Jesus. Everything he did, everything he earned, you are with him. And where is Jesus today? Think about this. Where is Jesus today? Let me show you Hebrews 1.3. This gives us a picture of where Jesus is. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe. It's big. This expanse is getting big by the word of his power. And after making a purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Does that sound a little bit like verse four of Psalm 11? That Jesus is now in that place that the Lord is, where David's looking and saying, my refuge is up there. I don't know exactly how, but I'm gonna place my faith that it is up there. And now we get the benefit of saying, man, if your faith is in Christ, that's where you are. Jesus has united you to himself and taken you to the place of the throne room of God. Providence, you can have confidence that your refuge is in the Lord so long as your faith and your trust is in Jesus. He has worked this all out. He has risen to the throne room of God. And now, like verse 4, we can own that. And we can say, hey, my refuge is in the heavens. My security is there because I trust in Jesus. And so Providence If that is true of you, if you you have placed your faith in Jesus, can I ask you that as as you go through these times in life, would you not only look to Jesus as our example, would we watch how he lived this out, would you also have your confidence in Jesus? Like when your faith feels shaky, when it feels like maybe God's not for me, when it feels difficult, would you look to Jesus and say, man, I know that I'm secure in him. I know that I have a refuge in the Lord because of Christ." And maybe if you've never done that before, if you're here and you have never yet fully like, placed your trust in Jesus and you walk through these times in life and it feels overwhelming and it feels debilitating and it feels just riddled with anxiety. Would you hear the Psalm say this morning that even you can find refuge in the Lord today? That in God through God or how you've tried to do it in the past, but you don't have to do that anymore. You can find your refuge in God through Christ that you can trust in him and you can be secure that the end of verse 7 will be true of you that one day as you navigate through all the highs and lows of life that you will behold the face of God that as he sits in the heavens as he creates a whole new world for us we will get to experience him there let me pray father god i thank you that you made a way God, for us, for us feeble, lowly people, sinners, to find their refuge in you, that you did not leave us going through all of the bumps, all of the the, the turmoils, all of the, the cracks in life where it feels like we don't know where to turn. You never left us there, but you made a way for us. I pray even this morning, God, that you would speak into us uh, wherever we might be. As individuals, God, would you press in where we need to actually place our faith in you, that we need to trust in you, that you are with us, that you're not um, aloof to our situations. You're not distant from our situations. You're not surprised by our situations. You're here and you're with us. And God, would we find great comfort in that? Would your spirit in this moment give great comfort to your people that you are with us? You're not surprised by what's going to happen in three days. You know what's going to happen, and you promise to be with us through Jesus. God, for those in the room who have never actually yielded to you, who have never submitted to you and trusted you and found refuge in you, God, I pray that right now they would do that. They wouldn't try to go through life navigating, finding earthly mountains or trying to control themselves, God, but that they would place their faith in you. They would say, look, I don't know what life's going to bring, but my refuge is in Christ. I'm secure in Christ and I'm with him. He is on the throne above and I'm united with him. God, would you give us great comfort? God, we thank you for Psalm 11. I thank you that you use David to help guide us this morning. Would you use this in our church and our life this week?